today's episode concerns a topic that can be traumatic, uncomfortable, or even triggering for some listeners. The Passionate Stewardship Podcast and brand does not aim to invoke this kind of response in anyone. Instead, we want to bring awareness, education, hope, and healing to anyone who is a victim and survivor of sexual violence. If you or someone you know has been a victim of sexual violence, help and support are available. Please call your local rape crisis or even dual servicing domestic violence and sexual assault agency or contact the National Sexual Assault Hotline at one 800 Again, that number is one 800 The call is free and confidential and someone is available to support you 24-7. You can also chat online at online.rain.org. Again, you can chat online at online.rain.org. For male survivors, you too can chat online using online.rain.org. And for U.S. service members and their families, please call the Department of Defense at 1-877-995-5247. Again, that number is 1-877-995-5247. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey y'all, and welcome back to another episode of the Passionate Stewardship Podcast, a podcast for helping professionals who strongly believe in supporting their community and the humans who live there. I am your host, Dr. Sherry. So as I shared with you at the top of the month, this month is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And I told you that this month we will be using the term sexual assault awareness and sexual violence. We'll be using those terms interchangeably. I want to honor the term sexual assault awareness because that is the month that is nationally recognized. But as we shared in the very first episode for this month, Sexual violence is one of those terms that encompasses all forms of sexual violence. And so on today's episode, I have a very special guest. I am so honored that this young lady wants to share herself with the listeners. So I am not going to do a whole lot of talking because I want to create a space for her in this moment to share. So I want you all to just stop what you're doing, grab yourself a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, some water, whatever your preference, because that's your business. And I want you to get comfortable and I want you to just listen 
and just be in the moment with us because I think you are in for a treat. I think you are in for some hope and you are in for some healing. So I would like to welcome to the Passionate Stewardship Podcast, the beautifully amazing Miss Whitney Askelson. Hey, Whitney, how you doing? I'm doing really good. Thank you for asking. Thank you so much for being here today. Let's get going. So Whitney, tell me a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, and tell our listeners how you show up for your community. Um, well, currently I'm a student at BYU-Idaho, and I'm studying business management and working on starting my own business, which I'm renting out prom dresses and wedding dresses. Along with that, I do photography to just kind of bring hope to people because I know lots of people struggle with feeling like they're important or worth something. And I feel by doing photography and helping them find the perfect outfit for their special moment, it helps them realize they are really important because for a long time, I struggled with feeling like I was worth something. And I want to help people realize that they're worth something, no matter what they've been through, no matter what difficult they had in their life, that everyone's worth something. They belong in this world. No matter what happened to them, everyone's worth something. That is so awesome. So can you share your story with us today? Yes, I'd be happy to do that. So... For me, I didn't just have one sexual assault. I didn't have two. I had three. Back when I was about 12 years old, going to sixth grade, I was sexually assaulted in elementary school. Back then, I didn't really realize that because, you know, I'm still trying to figure out who I am, what everything is. Mm -hmm. And so I felt uncomfortable at that time. Like, I don't like this, but... This this isn't really anything. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of like explained to my parents about it, and they kind of like said, "That's not good. You sh- that shouldn't be happening." And I was like, "Oh, okay." You know, kind of moved on with my life. But then mm-hmm. when I turned about seventeen, I was on Facebook going to a ward activity, and this guy's like, "Oh, I want to take people to go see Christmas lights." And I'm like, "Oh, I love seeing Christmas lights in Salt in Salt Lake City, in Utah." because mm-hmm. those are always a fun thing to do, Christmas lights. And this guy's like, yeah, let's do a, a group date. I'm like, a group date's fine. So I agreed for him to come pick me up, and I just kind of had like this feeling like maybe I shouldn't go, but I'm like, no, it's some of my word. It's just everything will be fine. Why am I? I'm just nervous about going on a date. You know, those feelings you get, oh, it's just a date. I'm nervous and stuff. Right. I get having that feeling, but... I continued to go anyway, and as I went with him, he picked me up, and we went to put gas in his car, and then he expressed, like, saying, um, have you ever been kissed by a guy before? I'm like, no, and he's like, do you want me to show you what it's like? And having, like, all those deep, weird conversations with me, I'm like, uh, no, I'm good. Mm-hmm. And then later on, he started driving, and he's like, oh, by the way, no one wanted to go to see Christmas Light, so it's just going to be you and me. And like, uh, okay. And later on, it started. He started driving away from Salt Lake. And I'm like, we're not going to Salt Lake. I thought he's like, oh, actually, we changed the plans. We're going to Spanish Fork to see Christmas lights. We'd start driving, and this place was a drive-through Christmas lights. And he started saying, oh, look, we're here. It'd be really cool if you sat on my lap and looking at Christmas lights. And I'm like, 
no, I, that's just really gross. I don't want to do that. And he's like, come on, are you a chicken? What's the matter with you? And he kept saying those kind of things that lots of guys do when they want something. <laughs> and <laughs> kept doing it over and over. And I'm like, fine, I'll just do it because I just am tired of you bugging me. And he's like, does that feel good? I'm like, not really, but let's just finish these, looking at these lights and get out here. And as we finished this Christmas light, we decided to go. He wanted to take me to the store to show me some stuff and so we could stretch your legs. And then there's like this jewelry stuff and that was like over $1,000, $2,000. He's like, hey, do you want me to buy you this? I'm like, on our first date, you want to buy me $2,000 worth of stuff? That is no, I am good. Right. And then he's like started petting me and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, I'm ready to go home. I'm like, I'm feeling really sick. We should just get me home. And as that went on, he continued to do petting me and stuff. And then he took me up into, and you, if you know where Eagle Mountain is, that used to be a really small area. Now it's really big. And back mm-hmm. then, I had no idea of the area of Eagle Mountain. And so he took mm-hmm. me up there and he's like, oh, we should get in the back seat together. It'll be okay. We can just talk. And sadly, he t- so I take off his shirt and stuff, and he's like, don't I look good? And he said, you should do the same thing. I'm like, no, I'm not doing the same thing. He's like, well, I look nice, so don't, don't you want to feel the same way as I do? And I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, I do not like this. I want to go home. And at the same time, as we were driving to that area, he let me know that he was in the military, and he could have guns, and he had all the rights to these things that he could do. So mm-hmm. at the same time, I was like, I could run, I could get out of this car, but what if he would shoot me? And that was my right. bigger. So he used intimidation. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that was always my biggest fear was would I even make it home with my parents? I, right. Would I, I don't even know the way home in the first way because in the area we were located, I didn't even have internet to access maps to know where mm-hmm. I would be. So I'm like, do I want to go through with this? Or do I want to risk a chance of being killed by him? Mm-hmm. And so that always was terrifying to me. So it, he continued to try and force me to do things. I finally said, no, I will, I insist we're going home right now. And he finally was like, fine, if you're going to be that way, we're just going to take you home. And so he was yelling at me all the way home and saying how horrible I was. As we got to my place, he's like, are you sure you don't want to... The last words he said to me was, are you sure you don't want to spend the night over at my place? Because I'll be comfortable doing whatever you want to do. And I'll, I I promise I won't be dressed. And I'm like, no, I'm going home and I never want to see you again. And then, sadly, I got I got home and I my parents were like, how was your date? Was it really good? I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. I did not tell my parents I for about a couple, a couple of weeks. And then I probably told them a little bit, but I was never able to tell them the whole thing story because I was just scared and then when I mm-hmm. did tell them they wanted me to go to counselors and the bishop and because he was in the same ward as I was in at that time mm-hmm. and he was also in some of my same classes I took and mm-hmm. so I was at the point where I'm like I don't want to be where he is and it was really hard for a while because I'd see him weekly he he knew where I lived and I knew where he lived so we were at right. we were really close neighbors right and he had already tried to intimidate you so you were you know concerned about your safety and that of your family and then the last one i've had 
was about two years, almost two years ago, it'll be two years in April. I was going to here at BYU Idaho. I found this really nice guy, I thought, and I started to date him. And I never had a boyfriend in my life, and he was like seeing really nice. So we finally decided to become boyfriend girlfriend. It was, I was mm-hmm. like, wow, I finally have a boyfriend. It's like, I'm like all the other girls, and it's living my mm-hmm. dream. As time went on, he made kind of like racial comments about white people. And I'm like, you know, my parents are white. I was adopted, so I don't like the, mm-hmm. these kind of things you're saying about them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, because I'm like, if you're going to, if you someday want to marry me, you're going to be around a lot of white people. And mm-hmm. so I want you to be respectful of them. Mm-hmm. And then um, as time continued, we kept, um, he kept making some more racial comments that made me feel uncomfortable. And then he would always walk up to my house. He would never let me over to his house for some reason. And he'd only walk him over when my roommates were at home. At first, I was just like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. But he would always insist, like, laying, laying on top of me. And I kept saying that wasn't, that's against my standards and I don't approve of that. But he said, oh, it's not a big deal. Parents won't care. It's just a little thing. No one will remember. And I'm like, to me, I'll remember it. And right. he's like, well, don't just don't think about it. It's just a smaller thing. And he kept moving on and on with those kind of things. And it got worse. And he would lay and roll on me. And I finally was kind of starting to get concerned. So I started to mention to my mom, and she's like, you need to do something, you know. I'm like, I don't want the repeat of what happened to me when I was back in seven, back at 17. I don't want to live right. the same story, because I know what I did was wrong. I still struggle with, feeling like it was my fault, even though it technically, it's not your fault when you have it happen. It definitely was not. Right. But, you, right. you know, everyone that goes through it usually blames themselves. And right. so right. I was like, I'm not going through it again. So... He kept saying that he loved me and I was his dream girl. And so, you know, all those people who've been through it go through the same cycle of, oh, it's okay. He's going to make it better. He's, he apologized, so it's not going to happen. And it goes through that cycle. And so I went through that cycle about for probably like almost a month of the emotional abuse he gave me and the sexual assaults he gave me. And finally it came to... Um, April Fools, he wants us to pull a trick and say, hey, how about we dress up and I fake a proposal to you? And it'll be really funny. And I'm like, I don't mm-hmm. know how I want to do it. And so we we really went out and got a fake ring and he did the whole proposal to me. And we posted it online. Mm-hmm. And then it just like felt, I'm like, Kai's like crashing, you know, because I'm like, I want to get married, but this is really a fake right. ring. And then that night, I overheard him talking to his family, saying, well, I'm going to actually break up with her because she's not giving me the sex that I want, and she won't give me all I want, and this is the whole reason I want to do this. So, and then his brothers were all saying, yeah, just break up with her because she's not giving you what you wanted. She was not the one for you. Mm-hmm. And so, that that night, I called my parents just bawling my eyes out, and mm-hmm. feeling comfortable and gross, and... Feeling like I was the guilty one, even though I wasn't. So right. I called. I met. I called my ex-boyfriend. Said, told him that I wanted to break up, but he would not answer his phone. I called him ten times, and he would not answer his phone. And I was getting angry. Mm-hmm. So I finally got to the point where I sent him a text, telling him 
I'm officially breaking up with you. I do not want to see you. I and all those kind things to him. And he said back, oh, okay, it's not that big a deal. But then I still felt really uncomfortable going to school because we were still around the same area and he wanted to be around me. So I actually finally had the courage to report him to the school and to the police. Good for you. Good for you. Which was the hardest thing I had to do, but it was worth it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sadly, he was still going to school. And this semester, um, I actually kept running into him. I had those triggers where I just fall completely blow up and I still struggle with those times. So I mm -hmm. still went up to the school and reported it when I needed to. And it's been able to help me grow f from that because I know there's still people willing to help me and they absolutely and they get restrictions. He now has a restriction order for me and he can't be in a certain distance from me, can't be in the same building as me. So I've been able to get a lot of help from that. And that's why. That is so awesome. I am so sorry that you've had to go through those instances in your life. But I am so glad that the, the university has supported you in that. Because too often we hear that victims and survivors aren't believed and they don't get the support from the entities that they should get support from. So I'm really glad that the university is standing behind you and beside you and giving you the support that you need. So I'm so inspired by you and I'm, I, I appreciate you for, for sharing that, that part of you. So thank you so much for sharing that. So these three instances, so what resources, so after the one when you were 12, did you and your family seek any resources for you? I mostly just did lots of talking to my parents. And then okay. one of my okay. friends asked to start dating him. So I was more trying to tell her to be careful from him. Because okay. sadly from her, he um got her pregnant and left her. And okay. so I'd just been by her sides because I realized... That could have been me in her shoes. And so what other services and resources have you sought to support you in your healing journey after these occurrences? I've had multiple sessions of counseling. Another thing that's <laughs> helped me a lot is Elizabeth Smart, who's a great mentor to me. I've read many of her books, watched her videos listen to her speak. She's been through so much that I couldn't even imagine being kidnapped for nine months and raped mm -hmm. and much more than that. Right. And so, but therapy and seeking counseling has supported you yeah. um, through your healing journey. Did you go to any support groups? Were there any support groups in your area um, that you were able to I had a, attend? I had a friend who actually... um was raped and ended up pregnant and she had a lot more going on because she's either to have abortion or she would keep the baby or she didn't keep the baby the guy who raped her would get the baby and so she chose mm -hmm. to keep the baby so she was my big resource because she mm -hmm. knew so much and was going having to really grow up and so I turned to her a lot so you had some peer support yeah so you had some peer support that's awesome 
Were there any rape crisis centers in your community that you could have sought after? Most times I would do the hotline when I needed it. Hotline. Okay. 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 And did you find reaching out to your rape crisis center hotline, did you find that beneficial for your healing? Yeah. Because lots of times when I had triggers, I would just text them and they would be able to help me and help me find ways to cope. Oh, awesome. It's so awesome, especially now with technology, the way that it is, that rape crisis centers, you can either text or you can do like an online chat. So how do you think these assaults, because you do identify as a survivor, correct? Mm -hmm. How have these impacted your life and your relationships and your sense of self? Because Your story gives people hope that healing is possible. And even though you do have your moments and every day is a process, but every day you are healing and every day you are finding new ways of healing. So how has it impacted your life and your your healing journey? I think lots of it's required a lot of time. Time is a big thing because for a long time, I didn't trust men. I figured all men were bad. They all were there to hurt you. And that was until I met my husband. He's helped me be able to see the world that all men aren't bad. They're they're your biggest support too. And also I've learned that men have gone through the same thing too. It's not Mm -hmm. just the women going through it too. That's right. That's right. What advice would you give someone who has experienced sexual violence that might be hesitant to come forward? You're not alone. Even though you may feel like you're the only one, there's people who have felt the same way. And you can be, you can make it. It'll take lots and lots of time. And there's still going to be struggles throughout your life that might trigger you. But you can get through it no matter How hard it may seem, how impossible it may seem, it's possible to make it. And in your opinion, because I'm sure that you you see where there may be some gaps in services and where there could be some different messages, you know, I think a lot of times when you are a victim of certain things, you see things from a different lens. So in your opinion... What could be done to improve awareness and prevention around sexual violence? I think having the more like even in colleges and high schools do more like little meetings and stuff with them and talk. Don't be afraid to talk about because some people are so afraid to talk about sexual assault and rape. Those are like the two Mm -hmm. things are like the words that shouldn't be said, but they are the words that need to be said. That's right. Not sugarcoating anything. Yeah. We, I, I live by that, especially here on the podcast. Like we're going to have some real authentic conversations. Like we are definitely not going to sugarcoat things because transparency is important. And especially when you are talking about something as serious as sexual violence, it can't be sugarcoated. It has to be tackled like head on. It has to be tackled. So how has this experience, because you said you are married, and I am so happy to hear that. Wonderful for you, and congratulations. So how has your experience 
How how did that shape your perspective on healthy relationships? It took a lot of time. It took us working together and it took my husband time to understand me because I wasn't always able to just open up for him. Mm-hmm. And even mm-hmm. through our dating time, I always said, I don't trust you 100% yet. I trust you at level, like I had 10 levels. I'm like, I give you a level four right now. I give you a level five. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> that's right. And, then, and so I guess level 10 was the highest. And then like, <laughs> as we got through it, then I'm like, yeah, I give you, I give you an, a 10 now. I'm like, I can do this. <laughs> so now put that ring on my finger. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. And like, it just takes time and patience. But mm. once they know the whole story, they can work with you. Even though it can be hard sometimes, it all works through because they realize that when you're ready to be a parent, you're going to be really protective over your kids because you've been through it and you don't want them to go through the same thing. And you know how to teach them and be aware for them. Absolutely. So from a survivor's perspective, and also at one point you were a victim. So coming from that perspective, what do you want human service professionals, social workers, and nonprofit organizations, because most of the time that's that's who's on the front line doing the work. What do you want us to know? How can we best show up to serve your needs? I think most of it was just the time that they listened to me and didn't talk over me. Because sometimes I just need mm. a listening ear. Lots of times they're like, if this is your problem, this is your problem, this is your problem. I'm like, I don't need you to tell me what my problem is. I need you to just sit there and listen to me. I already know I'm having this problem going on. I just need someone to be there to listen, hear me out, so I can talk out my problem. Anything else? And I think just also helping you find people to connect to and who have been through it too. So is that peer connection or is that other service organization? I think a little bit of both is good. A little bit of both. Okay. So what are some misconceptions that are commonly held about sexual violence and the impact on survivors? I think some of them, there's there's quite a few that... Yeah. It's kind of hard to name all of them. We'll just name because we that could be a whole nother podcast episode all by itself. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just go through a couple. One I think is like people don't report it because they are thinking it's fake and people or people are too scared to report it or that people don't really think it's really happened. They're it's like fault. Oh, I'm just gonna make this up. So I'm gonna Right. It's all make believe. Anytime someone is forced to have sex against their will, they're being sexually assaulted. Even when it's not a full thing of sex, it still can be counted as rape. And and lots of people don't mm-hmm. realize that. Mm-hmm. That's a good point because there's so many different levels. And also, according to whatever state that you are in, the legalities that are often attached to it also classifies it in different ways. So that's that's amazing to point out. Thank you for that. I think also another thing is 
it wasn't rape, so another version of it is like it wasn't rape, so it wasn't a sexual violence. So it could mm-hmm. be like anything that people can do, the way they unwanted kissing or mm-hmm. rubbing or anything like that, that can still be counted as touching. Yep. And lots of people don't realize yep. that's still considered. Right. Absolutely. And it sounds as if when these experiences, especially at 17 and the one that in college, you, you said no. Several times you, it sounded as if you expressed, take me home, stop, no, like I don't want to engage in that. And that's consent. That is letting someone know, like I've set a boundary, you have crossed my boundary and I'm telling you to stop. And these persons did not honor your boundary. And I am sorry that they did not honor your boundary. And there is this thing, there is consent and there is enthusiastic consent. And enthusiastic consent is both the verbal and the nonverbal. It sounds as in in all of your assault, you expressed both consent consent and enthusiastic consent. So there was verbal consent and there was the nonverbal consent. And in no time was your consent respected. And I just want to hold space for you right now that none of it was ever, it was none of it was ever your fault, Whitney. And I know coming from the person that that is not my that is it was not me that that is your experience but it was not your fault sweetie thank it you wasn't. you're welcome is there anything else that you would like for our listeners to understand about your experience as a survivor i know it may sound crazy but at the same time i'm grateful for this because honestly the for the last one, if I had not have gotten it, I never would have met my husband because hmm. I found my husband because of what happened to me. And in some ways, everything led me to help me become who I am. Even though in some ways I wish none of it ever happened to me, it helped me become the woman who right. I am today. And I'm extremely grateful for what I had to go through even though I still struggle with it sometimes in my life, I would not take it back. I would keep wanting to do this because I'm now able to help other people who struggle and help them find who they really are and become champions too. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. I'm so happy for you. So have you found any particular methods of healing or self-care to be particularly effective for you that might be helpful for someone else? I think lots of it's just the basics that I always get reminded of. It's just like having eating, going on walks, mm-hmm. even though the, some of the unhealthy ones like, or I'm sad, <laughs> eat, not, eat a giant bowl of ice cream, <laughs> um, make cookies. And eat all the cookies, may share some with some neighbors, do service, take, like, go out and do some service and help other people. Okay, service is good. Because even though you feel like you're the, having the worst and everything's the worst for you, there's always one else who's had it worse than you. That's, that's real talk. Okay, so out of all of those self-care tips, which, what is your absolute favorite? I think 
doing service for people because just making other people feel good and then connecting with other people too. You really never know what's going on in someone else's life because lots of us just keep all the hard things stuck inside of us and we don't share them. There's always one going through something rough and you know, they look like they're having the perfect day. Facebook, Instagram, and all that. People look like they have the perfect life. Everything's wonderful and terrific. But really, we're all having hard days. We're all having troubles in our lives, but we just don't want to admit it to each other. We're just trying to show how perfect our lives are when really we're all struggling. Social media can be such a facade sometimes. Uh-huh. So I definitely, definitely agree with that. Whitney, thank you so much for sharing your heart with my listeners. And I am so happy for your healing journey, your continued healing journey. I am thrilled that you have found your soulmate in the midst of trauma and in your healing journey. And I am just so happy what your future holds for you. I know your story is inspiring. I know your story of hope and healing will touch someone else's heart today. So any final words for us today? Just be strong and you can make it. No matter how dark the woods or tunnel seems, there's light at the end. All right, everybody. So do me a favor and do some self-care today. Do something to take care of yourself. As Whitney said, eat a bowl of ice cream, bake some cookies, don't eat them all, share them with someone, but do something to take care of yourself. If you know someone who is a victim of sexual violence, or if you know someone who is a survivor of sexual violence, there is help, there is healing, and there is hope for them. I appreciate you, Whitney. Thank you so much for sharing yourself with us. And remember, self-care is health care and kindness is free. So be kind to someone today. I love you for listening. And until next time, be good to yourself and others. Bye. Hey.